This is STEM Fatal, your Women in Science History <laughs> podcast. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm Emma Dilemma. I'm Emlyn Gremlin. We're here. <laughs> no, we barely made it, but yeah, we're here. It is. It's been rough, but we are ready yeah. and excited to talk about historical women in science. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. one, at least. Yeah. And one not historical. And one still alive <laughs> yeah. one, yeah. All right, so let's just yeah, let's go dig it in, dig in. We're it. not we're we're not gonna pussyfoot around <laughs> <laughs> as usual. That was sorry. I'm being over. Did you suffocate? <coughs> that was that was not the word I expected you to say, and I love it so much. Um, I think that would also be a great podcast name: pussyfooting around. Pussyfooting. Okay. So, you know what? No. I'm, no, wait. No what? I was going to I was just wondering about the etymology of that term, but like cat feet? Yeah, like it's got to it's got to be <laughs> <laughs> I mean, god help it us. Has it, to be. it must be that cat, cat feet. They do lightly Kind of step around. So yeah. that's probably what it means. And they're mischievous. And they're mischievous. <laughs> they knock over little things with yeah. their okay. little feet. It's got to right. It must be. It must. Otherwise, it, it I is. can't even get into it. It is that. Great. It's Perfect. definitely kitty feet. Yeah. Okay. Good. Now that we've <laughs> solved that riveting issue, <laughs> that riveting puzzle. Yeah. Uh, how about we solve another puzzle, which is... The question you were going to ask. Oh, yeah. So the question of this week is, who has, um, how do I say this? Who has mapped most of the Earth? What person has mapped the most area? I think I know. I think I've heard of this person, but I can't remember their name. Do you want me to? Guess somehow? <laughs> no. What, do you, what would you just guess first names? <laughs> yeah, like Mary Roberts or... You're close. Oh, Mary Roberts. Ma- Marie Curie? Thorpe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Marie Thorpe. Cool. Marie Thorpe. Yeah, I think you've Marie heard Marie Tharp. 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 Okay, I think I've heard that name mm-hmm. just I, in my searches. Yeah, I somehow had not come up... So I went to a Benthic College. This this stems from I went to a Benthic Ecology oh, yeah. meeting last week. Yeah. And Benthic Ecology, for those of you who don't know, is pretty much it's essentially marine invertebrate, I think is the easiest way. So like there was a lot of coral talks, there was a lot of seagrass talks, there was a lot of salt marsh yeah. talks. But I was trying to find I was getting inspired, so I was trying to find somebody who did either like marine biology or oceanography or something like that. Yeah. So this is how we have come to where we are. Oh, okay. Cool. So I'm just going to get started. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I don't know what else we would do. (laughs) I'm going to stop. We're so bad at small talk. (laughs) We're great. Sometimes it flows so freely. No. Uh, 
That's never flowed. Like the ocean. Flowed freely. I can't even say that. Oh, jeez. So, Marie Tharp, she's an oceanographer and cartographer. Oh, okay. Two areas we haven't covered. It's the first time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we are breaking new ground. Like she did. Some of it's because it's good. That's a good joke. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I kind of got in my own head for a second. And I just recognized your joke. Um, Some of it's because, like, cartographers, it's hard to tell, like, like some people just traveled a lot and, like, wrote things down. Yeah. And it's hard to tell how methodical it was Mm -hmm. or... How, you know, whether, is that a scientist or like... This I, is methodical AF. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. Great. Nice. Okay. Let's get in it. All right. Mary Tharp. She was born on July 30th, 1920. Oh. To Bertha Louise Tharp, who was a German slash Latin teacher. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. Which is pretty much the closest thing that I am. What? <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. You are a German or Latin teacher. <laughs> I just meant those are the languages I learned. Uh, words. This is the closest thing I am. <laughs> I've been writing for like two months straight. I can tell. Yeah, because yeah. all of my eloquence is not in verbiage. Okay, and her father was William Tharp, a soil surveyor for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That's the closest thing I am. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, like I've seen a farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Equivalent. Uh-huh. So due to her father's work, the Tharp family moved around constantly uh, until her father retired in 1931. So essentially they were just like okay. going around and like collecting soil samples yeah. across the country. Um, and at this point... Uh, Marie had been to over 20 public schools oh my across the country. So kind of a hodgepodge education. But she also, during this time, helped uh, in her father make these maps. So oh, she cool. kind of helped him out while yeah. he was doing his surveying. So that she had an really early fun. entrance. Yeah. 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 She like made a bunch of mud pies on the back of the like wagon, is what I read. Is, what is a mud pie? Just a... It's just it's just mud. Wet. It's just mud that you and then you smack more mud on it. Yeah, and you smack it into shapes. Yeah, that's okay. about it. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty chill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, after her father retired, the Tharp family moved to a farm in Bellefontaine, Ohio. Oh, it sounds very fancy for Ohio. Never heard of it? Yeah, yeah. Where Tharp graduated high school, I don't think it's fancy. We're know. so down on Ohio. Last I, step, we're like, they ain't got no mountains. <laughs> now you're like, this fancy for Ohio. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Ohio. I know it's controversial. Ooh, sorry, Ohio listeners. Sorry, Ohio. Um, okay, so after she graduated high school, she originally wanted to study literature at St. John's College in Annapolis, but oh. they didn't admit women at the time. Of course. Of course not. So uh, what her father told her, was that she should choose a subject that she not only loved, but that would provide her financial security. So he wanted her to find something that, like, she could stand her own two feet, but also that she really enjoyed. That's reasonable. Yeah, I think so. I think that's good (laughs) advice. And Tharp says about this time, in college at Ohio University... Okay, uh, she went to Ohio. (laughs) Spoiler. 
Uh, I change my major every semester. I can relate to this oh, so much. Wow. Um, she says, I was looking for something I was good at, something I could get paid for, and something I really liked. Yeah. But there weren't many opportunities for women then, except as a teacher, secretary, or nurse. Right. I couldn't type and couldn't stand the sight of blood, so I decided to try <laughs> teaching and began taking education courses, which convinced me that I wouldn't like teaching all that much either. Wow. During changing her major every semester, <laughs> Thorpe graduated from Ohio University in 1943 with a bachelor's degree in English and music and four minors. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I read that. I was just like, what? Yeah. That's- I mean, she's a searcher. She was mm-hmm. just searching for, for yeah. what she loved and couldn't commit, which is okay. You mm-hmm. shouldn't commit no, before just you're ready. Get four minors. Yeah. So at this time, it was World War II, 1943. Ooh. We're pretty much the crux of all of our stories. Yeah, that must have just been when, I mean, I guess that was a scientific, like a very booming scientific time. Yeah, I think it's a combination of like, it's a scientific booming time and like, women. men were either dead or at war. And so uh. people were like, I guess. <laughs> Fine. (laughs) I guess we'll let women into these jobs. And then they like freaking dominated. And so. But even it seems in Europe and other parts of the world. Men also died there. True. Well, yeah. (laughs) But I I guess, yeah, it would be the same thing. Yeah. Like. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, I think in Europe, primarily. US and Europe were kind of male decimated or everybody was at war. And so. Yeah. They deigned to let us in. And look what happened. And look what happened. <laughs> what, what what did happen? Everything um, got better. Yeah. There's <laughs> something. So um, these male-dominated fields became more open to women at this time. Yeah. And so Marie, uh, having taken one geology course at Ohio University, was recruited to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor's Petroleum Geology program. Wow. Uh, where she completed a master's degree. Everybody calls this group of ladies that studied at this petroleum geology group the PG girls. Oh. I just wanted to mention that. That's it's kind a of little bizarre. weird because they're women, right? They're women. PG. PG. I wonder if PG meant anything. What it means now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. It's important to note that at this time, fewer than 4% of all earth science doctorates were women. 4%? 4%. Oh, wow. Yeah. And after her master's, she took a job at Standard Oil and Gas in Tulsa, but huh. found it unsatisfying and uninteresting. Yeah. So while working there, she also earned a BS in mathematics at the University of Tulsa. Because oh one has a lot of degrees. <laughs> she was just constantly looking for what was right for her. Yeah, exactly. Like. She was just kind of playing the field, yeah. figuring out. So in 1948, she then moved to New York to work with Maurice uh, Ewing, Ewing, I don't know how to pronounce his name, the founder of the Columbia University Lamont Geological Observatory, which is now called the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. I don't know if you... I know about it because I went to Columbia. I don't know how well known it is. Um, Uh, And she was hired as a general drafter, so somebody who draws maps. Oh, cool. Yeah. That seems really fun and, mm-hmm. like, kind of satisfying to draw a map. Yeah. Yeah. So she was one of the first women to work at the Lamont Doherty. Uh, and at this time, scientists knew very little about the ocean floor in general. 
But because of the Cold War, so this is after World War II and now it's the Cold War, the U.S. Navy became interested in mapping the ocean floor because they believed it might be uh, have strategic relevance for submarine battles. So they're like, we should probably know what the floor looks like. Yeah. yeah. But before they just thought it was this like vast flat. mud uh-huh. flat. Yeah. And when actually it has all these trenches and so mountains. So many things. Kind of. Yeah. So... At, uh, at the Lamont Geological Observatory, Tharp met Bruce Heason, huh. uh, who was a geologist who specialized in seismic and topographic data on the seafloor. Okay. So Tharp was employed and continuously promoted from 1952 to 1977 at the Lamont Observatory. Yeah. So she was there pretty wow. much her entire career. And it was a weird time to be a geologist. As there was no consensus on how features of the Earth, such as mountains, were even formed. Oh, okay. Like, at all. Yeah. There was, like, some textbook that I was looking at that said, it was like, we can discuss the reasons for why these things are the way they are, but we don't know. And you're <laughs> like, okay. So, like, they don't know, like, why mountains are, f- how mountains are formed or why mountains are formed. So they, they don't know why valleys are formed. So they didn't know much about plate tectonics at that Plate point. tectonics was okay, not right. a thing yet. Yep. Interesting. I didn't realize it took, I didn't realize that was discovered so recently, I mm-hmm. guess, like in the last hundred years. Yeah, like early 60s, late 50s. Wow. Yeah, I will get into yeah. that soon. More so. How did they um, study the ocean floor at that time to map it? Oh, oh you're, you're getting there. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I'll only tell you kind of. Yeah. So during this time when she was at the Lamont Geological Observatory, he's in the person who she started collaborating with, uh, would collect bathymetry data. So essentially he would go on ships and use a variety of different, like, sonar yeah. techniques to assess depth measurements at points. Yeah. So they would have long, like, transects on the ship where they would, every once in a while, have a, a sonar reading. And then based on how long it took oh, for the sonar okay. to come up, they could tell how deep the water was. And then so they would just have kind of a map of... yeah. Or they would have a snapshot of how deep a certain transect was. But they're not in, like, the deepest parts of the ocean, I'm guessing. They're crossing. Oh. So they are getting... So it, the sonar would go and come back, even... Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure yeah. at some point it gets deep enough where it goes and it just yeah. <laughs> doesn't really, like, come back. Yeah. But then you probably know, oh, this you is much deeper. Yeah. This is much deeper than anything else that we've... Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, but for the most part, I think they could map wow. the ocean floor transects of it. Yeah. So that's what Heason was doing on the research, on research ships, while Tharp would draw the maps based on the data, the depth data that wow. he collected. And at this time, women weren't allowed to work on ships because it was considered bad luck for a woman to be on a navy ship. And most of this was oh, like, but all the in ships were with- women, right? Yeah, they all the, were- the ship. Yeah, you ride women, but women aren't allowed to ride with you on the women's ships. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's it's fine. It's fine. We're past it. It's not really. But- <laughs> 
So while he's in collected data out at sea, Tharp sat in a crowded basement office of Columbia, turning this depth data into maps. Yeah, so she wasn't allowed on the ships. Wow. Yeah. That's a bummer. I know. She'll be... It's okay. She'll get on them. It's also, like, weird to think you can draw a map from something you've never even seen. Yeah. Right? Which I think is, like, something that, from a lot of the stories that we've looked at, they weren't allowed to actually go see the things, yet they came up with great discoveries. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Having not been out actually in the field. Right, yeah. We should keep women less in the field and they'll discover <laughs> right, more. Right, so this means... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Based on that relationship. <laughs> the no. logical conclusion is women should stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so in 1952, Tharp painstakingly aligned, so she has all these sound profiles from various vessels. So, like, she has all these depth measurements across transects yeah. from multiple different ships. Um, going in different directions. So right. that's kind of the data she has. She has all these transects that don't quite meet up. And from that, from these profiles, she was able to put together the bathymetry, which is just the depth across space, um, of the northern sections of the mid-Atlantic Ocean. Okay. And it was her drawings that revealed that the ocean floor was not flat, but covered in features like canyons, ridges, and mountains similar to land. So before they just thought it was like this flat mud and then she was the one that actually showed that there was all of these various features that we find on land also in the sea. Wow. And she discovered that there was a mountain range that cut through the middle of the mid-Atlantic ocean basin known as the mid-ocean ridge. Right. Which is also now called the backbone of earth because it goes all the way around the earth. Oh, I had no idea. So she discovered that. That's weird. Yeah. So there's this mountain range that goes essentially all the way around. And while mapping the mid-ocean ridge, uh, Marie identified an aligned V-shaped structure running continuously through the middle of the ridge. So there's this big Uh, mountain, and in the middle of the mountain, there's this V-shaped deep uh, rift, which she believed was a rift valley. So I'm going to kind of tell some background now about what geologists thought at the time, which will help explain why that's important. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So we're going to... That's our going back in time. I guess. I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'll find something better. (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to talk a little about the paradigms and conventional wisdom of the time. Mm -hmm. And many so many scientists had remarked that the continents looked like they could fit together. Right. So if you align, if you put Africa kind of where Central America is, they fit yes, well together. Right, and, right. and other people had remarked upon, upon yeah. this. But Alfred uh, Wegener, I think that's yeah. how you pronounce his name, formally suggested an explanation for this in 1912, arguing that the continents had been one giant landmass, oh. Pangaea, but had broken up and drifted to their present locations. Okay. So they at least knew or. We're thinking about that. So people were thinking about it. But during this time, <laughs> this was very controversial. Oh, okay. And pretty much no, people did not believe. This is the idea of continental drift. Yeah. And nobody really believed it at that time. But many scientists, including Heisen, believed that continental drift was impossible, but instead favored this idea of the expanding Earth hypothesis oh. in order to explain why it looked like all of the continents fit together at one point, but yeah. no longer were together. 
So this hypothesis asserted that the position and relative movements of continents was due to the volume of Earth increasing, which broke up Pangaea. It's like, I don't understand why anyone would believe one or the other without evidence. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I don't know how... Why not just view both of them, you know, as potential Mm -hmm. explanations until you find more evidence? Yeah, I don't know why this one... Was more popular? Was more popular, because there's no evidence for it either, but... Someone, just someone's overconfident, basically. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if this was, yeah. But the other, but the idea of continental drift seemed much more suspect. I guess it was more controversial so for whatever crazy. reason. Yeah. So Wegener's theory was ignored for a long time because the uh, plausible driving force of this drift was missing. Mm-hmm. So people didn't believe it. Um, but this leads us back to Marie Thor- Tharp and the discovery of these V-shaped rifts in the ocean floor. Oh. So at this time, Marie was convinced that she had found a rift valley in the mid-ocean ridge. And she says, I thought the rift valley was real and kept looking for it in all the data I could get. If there was such thing as continental drift, it seemed logical that something like a mid-ocean rift valley might be involved. Oh. The valley would form where new material came up from deep inside the earth, yeah. splitting the mid-ocean ridge in two and pushing the sides apart. So uh, at this point, she mentioned this, she brought this up to Heezen, who was her boss, and he said he was initially unconvinced at the idea mm-hmm. uh, because it would support continental drift, which was a controversial theory at the time. So he was like, oh, no, 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 you need to go back and redo your calculations. So she went right back and did her calculations yeah. and came back to him. He was like, I see the same thing. Yeah. And he ridiculed her theory as girl talk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm dying a little bit. Um. That's insane. Yeah. So he's in then. Why hired- doesn't he do the goddamn calculations? <laughs> he's on the boat. You can't uh. do the boat and calculate it. <laughs> he's on the boat. Uh, he's in then hired this guy named Howard Foster to plot earthquake epicenter maps. Mm. And when this was. So he he was doing this, and when this was overlaid with Tharp's profile of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, it became clear that these earthquakes aligned with Tharp's Rift Valley. Yeah. And that this pattern occurred in other oceans as well, so it wasn't just a a Mid-Atlantic situation. And Tharp became convinced that this Rift Valley did exist within the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, and it was only after seeing the location of these earthquake epicenters aligned on this ridge that he's an accepted her hypothesis wow. uh, and changed his mind in favor of plate tectonics and continental drift. So did he call it now boy talk or no gender talk? <laughs> You're talking boy talk now. Um, yeah, that's, that's, he was all about boy talk. Boy talk sounds questionable uh, or band name. Well, girl talk is a DJ. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I wonder that's what, what boy thinking. talk would be like, um, Metal DJ or something? Yeah, I don't know. Additionally, Tharp's notion was still so controversial that Jacques Cousteau, the famous ocean uh, explorer, undertook an expedition to film the ocean floor to prove her wrong. However, he... You can't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He he came back with video. Yeah. uh, Video evidence showing lava-filled valleys surrounded by two sharp ridges. Oh, proving yeah, I guess they had submarines then, huh? Yeah, so yeah. proving Tharp's notion and 
her showing oh. that her maps were actually correct and Good. were showing this rift. So during the previous five years, during all this time, she's been making all these maps, believing yeah. that this rift exists. And she was so sure about her findings that she remarks that the men arguing around her, uh, about the men arguing around her, she says, I was so busy making maps, I just let them argue. <laughs> she's like, I got things to do. Yeah. I know what's true. They'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. Then in 1957, uh, Heisen, uh gave a talk on this mid-ocean rift system that they yeah. had discovered at Princeton, uh, bringing along a globe he made that showed how the rift system extended all around the world. And after the talk, an eminent Princeton geologist, Harry Hess, uh, who later developed the theory of seafloor spreading. So I think that's just more details of how plate tectonic works in the oceans. He stood up and said, young man, you have shaken the foundations of geology. I'm hoping that somebody during my defense. Oh my gosh. I want somebody that co- to come up, young woman, you have shaken the foundations of ecology. I'm going to promise you I won't do that. <laughs> oh my God. This is too embarrassing. That would be amazing if I have like a plant. Yeah. <laughs> to bolster me. Okay. And then like, Everybody turns and looks at me, and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> like, what do I know? <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Anyways, so then Tharp and Heason published their first map of the North Atlantic in 1957. So this is like the first map, I think, of the ocean, the mid-Atlantic wow. at, of all time. However, Tharp's name doesn't appear on any of the major publications on plate what? tectonics. That she worked on with Heason and colleagues, published between the ages of 1959 and 1963. Although she's now credited for her work on the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, it was Heason at the time that received credit for this discovery of the rift. Weird. She was just, like, in the basement. But, like, I guess somebody went back and realized that. Yeah, I could not. Yeah. I mean, I didn't dig too deep, but... Everything I found, there was some things that mentioned this, yeah. that she wasn't on any of the papers and stuff like that. But then I couldn't figure out, like, what the papers were or yeah. exactly detailing why and then detailing how they then realized she was on it. Yeah. That um, she contributed huh. to it. Anyway, so that's kind of, I don't have that information. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, I don't <laughs> even know. So Tharp continued working at the Institute to further map map the Rift Valley and found that it extended into the South Atlantic and found similar uh, rift structures in the Indian Ocean, Arabian Sea, Red Sea, and the Gulf of Aden, suggesting the presence of global kind of rift zone. Yeah. With the hope that the public might become as fascinated with this, with the ocean floor, as with you know, the terrestrial landscape and maps. Uh, Tharp and Heason collaborated with National Geographic on a series of artistic depictions of the ocean floor. Wow. The first of which appeared in 1967. And then by the late 1960s, the plate tectonics revolution was complete. And even uh, grade schoolers were learning why South America and Africa looked like two puzzle pieces that should fit together. So really quickly, once they had that information, once they had those rifts that supported the idea of plate tectonics and continental drift, then it like spread really quickly. So by 1977, they produced the World Ocean Floor Panorama, which was the first comprehensive map of 
70% of the earth covered by water. And it's still seen in textbooks and geology departments across wow. the world. So it's yeah. the first mapping of all the ocean floors. I wonder if people were excited about this or if the whole like going to space thing really overshadowed the knowing what's in our oceans thing or like describing our own oceans thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I know you don't know. Like, a, there's no <laughs> I article. I could know. There's no article that's like people more excited about space than oceans. <laughs> I would imagine that's but probably it's still true. Like, kind of that way. Mm-hmm. Like, people are still more excited to go to Mars than you know, know what species live, live in, in Atlantis. Oceans. Yeah. 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 I don't know, but I I did read some things. That seemed like people, like common people. I think there was a lot of news articles about this at the time, right? And there were some people who were panicking that there were like rifts opening up in the ocean floor. Oh, yeah, like hellish. Yeah, like like hell is just like coming (laughs) upon us. Yeah, and people were like, no, 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 it's okay. It's been happening for millions of years. Yeah, yeah. We just now know about it. It's not a new thing right. that you should... It's not like new lava is forming and you have to worry that you're going to be, like, subsumed. Well, there or maybe you some do. places, but it's That's not true. like the whole ocean... Like the ocean's not opening 100 up... 100 feet at a time <laughs> or whatever. The water's all sinking into the ocean and then it's just kind of, like, co- yeah. collapsing upon itself. But yeah, I think there were some people that were a little like concerned. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so also in 19 so we're going back in time. Okay. In 1968 was the first time she was able to conduct research at sea. So she went oh, on a data wow. collecting expedition actually on the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute oh, ship nice. called the Atlantic. So yeah. it was like 16 years of doing oceanography before she could get on a ship. That's insane. I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. boat. Everybody look at me because I'm sailing on a boat. Like she knew more about the middle of the ocean than people who had sailed across it. Yeah. Though I wonder, I wonder if that first trip was like really great or like you get really seasick and you're like, wait. Yeah. uh." (laughs) like, I don't want this. The first time (laughs) I went on a research vessel to do some research, I was collecting algae and... It was super stormy. So every time we, I would have to, we were also doing transects. Yeah. So like we'd have to go out and collect a sample of algae and I'd have to come back into the lab on the ship and like analyze it, kind of filter it. Yeah. And in between, essentially every time I had to go collect new algae, I would go vomit in the bathroom and then go collect my algae, go filter it, go vomit. Yeah. So it's. Boats, boats, boats man. are tough. I get pretty seasick. <sighs> yeah, it's really hit or miss with me. Gotta take Dramamine. Yeah, but that get like, a wrist thing. They uh, make yeah. non-drowsy yeah. now. It's pretty legit. Okay, yeah, yeah. True for all you future boaters. Non-drowsy Dramamine yeah. wrist pressure thing. Yeah, which is crazy that those even work. Yeah, like how do they? balance but like why do we get seasick anyway yeah it's just fluids in our brain brad right like our ear canal fluids i don't actually know balance and dizzy yeah i could see that yeah ears man yeah all right well (laughs) ears more like oceans yeah so 
Tharp continued to serve on the faculty of Columbia University until 1983, at which point she retired and operated a map distribution business. Wow. I don't know anything more about that, but she became a- I mean, people needed maps then. Like paper maps. Yeah. We didn't have Google. (laughs) Couldn't do it that. We didn't have phones. We put her- Google put her out of business. I'm sure she was deceased. (laughs) She died in 2006. Oh, well, maybe it truly put her in Yeah, I don't know. But in in 1997, Tharp received double honors from the Library of Congress, Congress, which named her one of the four greatest cartographers of the 20th century. And included her work in the 100th anniversary celebration of its map and, or geography and map division. The Library of Congress is so freaking big. Okay, cool. Yeah, you gotta have a geography and map division. Yeah. And then in 2001, Tharp was awarded the first annual Lamont Doherty Heritage Award for her life's work as a pioneer of oceanography. That's great. She has a bunch of other awards, but those are just two I wanted to mention. Yeah, that's good. But she's been highly recognized since then for her contributions. And I think Google has, like, a way that you can actually convert the Google Maps into her... Whoa, that's cool. Her drawing of... Uh, the ocean floor, so that there's mm. that. I'll try to link to that if I can yeah. find it. Okay, so one last quote from her. She says, I worked in the background for most of my career as a scientist, but I have absolutely no resentments. I thought I was lucky to have a job that was so interesting. Establishing the Rift Valley and the Mid-Ocean Ridge that went all the way around the world for 40,000 miles, that was something important. You could only do that once. You can't find anything bigger than that, at least on this planet. Wow. And, uh, so that's the story of Mary Tharp. That's crazy. Yeah, I like can't believe I hadn't heard about her because yeah. that seems she literally mapped seventy percent of the world. That's crazy. And I think like once you got to certain like yeah. smaller oceans, I think she didn't do the Pacific. Somebody else did the Pacific. Okay. Um. So she did have help later on with yeah. other parts of the ocean, but okay. she actually put them all together. And she did some of the fundamental original work that found, like, the main evidence for the theory of continental drift. drift. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Big stuff she did. I'm surprised they didn't think the rifts meant, yeah, the Earth is expanding. Like, pulling apart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I haven't thought about it too much. I mean, I'm sure there was just a lot of, like, arguing yeah. about arguing amongst a bunch of idea men mm-hmm. <laughs> while she's doing all the calculations. <laughs> all the girl talk. All the girl talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But that's very cool that she was able to take this data and turn it into this, like, well, it's just, like, so much unexplored. That's yeah. crazy that then, if you thought it was just going to be flat, and then you look, and you're like, there are mountains. There are yeah. plateaus. It's like a whole world down there. Yeah. It's like the rest of the earth, but covered in water. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, it yeah. is. It's just lower down. And then you have these, like, ma- deep valleys filled yeah. with, like, lava. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. Yeah. The ocean, and it's so deep in some areas. Anyways, it's crazy. It's awesome. Are there there are any land rifts like that? Are there where there's lava coming up with like land masses pulling apart? Like above the ocean, I mean? I think they're mostly in the ocean. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know why that is. I feel like there's probably a functional reason for that. Yeah. Maybe something about as you're pulling apart, everything that's like on land gets higher. I don't know. Yeah. Um, So that you wouldn't get those. You only get those rifts maybe at like low points. I don't know. Yeah. I'm now making stuff I took like one geology class. I've never taken a (laughs) geology course. It's cool. I took environmental science and geology and they were both really cool, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of memorization in geology of like rocks. Yeah. And they were all fun to like look at and I liked the field trips, but the memorizing stuff I was not good at. Yeah. So... Kudos to all the geologists yeah. out there. Kudos to that you. That are probably like screaming at us. <laughs> like, right that's not how play tectonics works. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Mas- Wait, what's the <laughs> phrase? What? Master of all, master of none. Huh? I don't know the phrase. <laughs> Wait, I believe it. Hey. Jack of all trades, master of none. Okay, that makes way more sense. <laughs> I don't know all I was the like, details. How do you be a master of all and a master of none? <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. All right. This is our women who work section yeah. where we talk about women in science making history today. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Give them a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Um, my shout out today goes to, uh, two women and a guy (laughs) who all wrote a paper together. Um, but their names are Jillian Lauer, uh, Yu Kyung Yang, and Stella Lorenko. And the three of them are co-authors on a paper that was a meta-analysis of when gender differences in spatial reasoning develop. Huh. So, have you ever heard how, like, men are better at spatial reasoning than women? Uh-huh. Have you ever had a guy be like, oh, let me let me do this. I'm better at parking cars than you are, <laughs> or something. I'm plead the fifth. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, they were interested in at what age, like, is this an innate difference? Mm-hmm. Um, or does this develop at some point? Which it could still be innate i get you know and develop at a later age but they were curious like at what age does this do we see gender differences Mm -hmm. in this type of reasoning become bigger i guess or when does the difference appear yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, okay so they did a meta-analysis of let's see i think it's like 303 studies with over 30,000 that you know Altogether include over 30,000 children and adolescents and studies on spatial reasoning in children and adolescents. That's a lot of studies. Yeah. And found that there were no gender differences in mental rotation skills among preschoolers. But by ages six to eight, a small male advantage or like Mm -hmm. better um, rotation, mental rotational skills emerged in male children. Okay. And at that point is when the gap starts getting wider until, I mean, they only studied up to age 18, but um, at that point they see a consistent gender gap in spatial reasoning skills. Hmm. And so, yeah, it's kind of weird because it's like, this could still be biological. Yeah. Or it could still be environmental. Right. Exactly. Like 
boys often spend more time playing with like maybe blocks or like doing mm-hmm. I don't know like toys or like going for- camping. Yeah, right. Or doing Boy Scouts versus, like, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts are very different in how much they expect you to, like, be able to find your way in the woods. Yeah, maybe certain sports that Mm -hmm. male kids play, (laughs) I don't know, are are a little bit, or they start earlier or something, I'm not sure. Yeah, it is hard to be able to differentiate them, because there is this notion that Men are better better at spatial reasoning. So how much yeah. does the that notion in common, like in everyday activities, change whether or not like girls are gonna emphasize paying attention to their spatial surroundings right. versus yeah. boys? Like how does knowing that there's a difference or people telling you that there's a difference, how much does that influence your trajectory? Yeah. So it's hard yeah. That's interesting though. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, it's not from the time they're babies, yeah. but I'm also like, when do your spatial reasoning skills even Yeah, begin? do you have any yeah. spatial reasoning <laughs> skills when you're, like, a baby? Yeah, they must have something that it was tested at all in three years, three-year-olds. Yeah. And- Once the death drive decreases, <laughs> then the spatial <laughs> reasoning comes up. Oh, God, the death drive. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Um, you have spatial reasoning for where like <laughs> pools are and like dangerous oh, equipment. I mean, even three-year-olds are like really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think the only way you could possibly ever figure that out is by studying cultures where like all children are brought up like not even like knowing their gender or yeah. something, or like playing with all the same toys or being mm-hmm. taught. Being allowed to do all the same things, mm-hmm. yeah, is the I I would think that might be the only way you could really determine because there could just be like whenever certain genes are start being expressed when they're five or six or eight probably shapes how their brains are yeah. developing too. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that I think will be hard to get at. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you get at because th- there's definitely I don't know how you filter out the societal effects of people claiming there's a difference right to figure out what the biological difference is yeah if there is one and yeah i thought this was an interesting study um because you know spatial reasoning is kind of directly related sometimes to certain sciences Mm -hmm. where maybe like engineering or like technical work sometimes i don't know like yeah. how much I mean, ever you can still do science. Yeah. Even if, like I don't know how much I've actually had to use spatial reasoning in. I study. I study the effects of space on communities. <laughs> so yeah, but it's like, what even it? Like, what is spatial reasoning? Just like walking outside. Like, yeah. Is it like I things? don't know where I am? Can I retrace <laughs> my steps based on? Yeah. My space. I will say when I drive, I have no idea where I am. But that's also because I have I generally have a guide. Right, yeah. So I pay attention to driving and not where, like, not directions that I need to yeah. go. I'm always confident that I know exactly where I am and exactly what's going <laughs> on, which, given the number of times I've gotten lost, it's I've not been, true. I, I've been with you. Yeah. <laughs> but... Also, sometimes I'm confident and I'm right. So yeah. then, you That's know. That's true. That's true. Always be confident. Those are always uh, 
a gr- that's always a great payoff when you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're not yeah. just like on a highway to somewhere unknown. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So shout out goes to that that cool study. Nice. Yeah, love it. Awesome. This was a very spatial episode. Yeah. This, it was, somehow, how does this always I don't know. We fused. Our yeah. minds are in sync. <laughs> spatial reason. Uh, yeah. This is makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's it just like. Um, what did you say earlier? I have this in common. <laughs> I, what I said, she was a Latin German teacher. I'm as I'm the closest to this, yeah. or like this. I like this is the closest. This is the to closest me. to me. <laughs> of what? I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Evelyn. I don't know either. <laughs> All right, this was our episode. <laughs> yeah, this was it. I hope you liked it. If you uh, did like it, I please hope you liked it. rate, review, subscribe. It's yeah. almost our year anniversary. Yeah. And we would love, if you've been listening, for some reviews. Yeah, give us a, a present. Yeah, give us a little birthday present. <laughs> and we'll read it and we'll be so happy. It's like unra- unwrapping a little gift. Yeah. So I'm going to wake up on our podcast <gasps> birthday and check under the... Yeah. Under the reviews. <laughs> Under the iTunes reviews. <laughs> and yeah. there will be nothing. Oh, <laughs> no, no there might be something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, please do that. And also, thank you to Caitlin Friesen yeah. for our art and Artichoke for our music. Hell yeah. And as always, go, go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself. <laughs> yeah! That's <laughs> so serious. I was so serious Go about it. Stimulate Go stimulate yourself. Go stimulate yourself. By circa 1820, she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the power of And science was.